I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, here we are. Uh, we got one more week. One more week. Next week, uh, next, not, not tomorrow, but the next week is Palm Sunday. We're almost done with uh, with the Lenten season. In fact, uh, depending on where you where you go to mass, they may be uh, covering all of the the pictures, all of the icons, all of the stations of the cross, any image of of Christ in uh, in your church may be covered up, veiled this week. And you may be thinking, gosh, this is different. Why, why is everything covered up? Well, you know we we spend this time fasting. To, uh, to increase our connection to God. You know, absence in some ways, absence makes the a heart grow fonder. And so this week, uh, one of the very traditional practices, not everywhere does it, but one of the traditional practices is that we veil the statues and the images all around. We're fasting from beauty. We're, we're covering our eyes. We're removing that, um, that image of Christ from our midst, even as, for now, the tabernacle is still full. Christ is still present and in our midst. Uh, the time's going to come on on Thursday where Christ's presence is removed from the tabernacle. And we feel that emptiness. We feel that that longing. But we're not there yet. Right now, everything's veiled. Uh, and so now is the time for us to remember what this cost, what our redemption cost us. Uh, this takes us back a little bit again to that Ash Wednesday where we remember our own fallenness. Right. Remember, we talked about uh, Advent is that time where we recognize all is not right with the world, but but it can be. Right, Christ is coming again, and we are participating in bringing His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Right. So that's that's part one. Now we come into Lent, and we remember that all is not right with me, but it can be. There's redemption, and that's what we celebrate through these 50 days of Easter that are quickly approaching. So um, we're going to talk today about the Lenten fast. I've got a friend of mine, Adam Conk. He is uh, from Christ Our King Radio in Lafayette, Louisiana, and we're going to be talking about uh, the fast and the the tendency to, to tend either towards scrupulosity of saying, I am not fasting hard enough. I need to make this really difficult for me, and I've got to obey all these uh, rules uh, and and standards for fasting. Otherwise, uh, I'm failing somehow. That's scrupulosity. But on the other side is laxity, saying, well, you know, it's supposed to be that Christ has enabled me to do all these things, and so here's what the church requires of me. They ask me to um, to fast on two days, Ash Wednesday and and. Good Friday, and here's what the fast looks like, right? One meal with two smaller meals. That's all I have to do. I have to do what the church has given and nothing more. So we're going to talk about those two extremes and and where we find our devotion somewhere in the middle. We'll get to that later in the show. Uh, but first, I want to talk to you about something I saw on Facebook this week. Uh, and it's something I think we don't often think about. Uh, and it's this young woman, I think she's in Canada. I actually don't know anything about her uh, other than this came across my feed. This young woman in Canada who is looking at entering into religious life. She's going to become a sister. 
But before she can do that, she has to be free of all debt. She has to get rid of her student debt. She's got, in my opinion, a very small student loan. But here's the deal. Uh, a professed religious, whether they be a sister or a monk, they take the, the evangelical counsels. They, they vow uh, poverty chastity and obedience. So if she's vowing poverty, that means she gives up all that she has and she uh, shares it in common with the sisters. That means that she has no money uh, of her own in which to pay off these debts once she enters into the convent. And of course, the convent uh, doesn't have the means to pay off her loans either uh, because they they are doing things that are for the benefit of, of the whole community. And so this is a very common thing. And I don't think a lot of us realize this. Uh, that people who want to enter religious life, uh, they have to to meet these uh, needs, these these debts, get them covered before they enter into the convent or to the monastery or or into the friary or or whatever it happens to be for them. Now, here's the deal: if she were to try and support herself, get a job, try and support herself for uh, and pay off these loans with the money she's making. Of course, she's just out of college. You know the job market. Uh, you know that entry-level jobs really only pay enough to sustain you for you. And here she's feeling, this person is feeling this call into religious life. She's being drawn by the Holy Spirit here. And so if she were to spend 5, 10, 15, 20 years trying to pay off this debt because she has to also support herself in this amount of time, uh, it would be a very, very difficult thing to do. And she would spend all of those years instead of in vocation and in prayer for the whole church, which is what what these sisters do in addition to any other charism they have, uh, she would be spending that time instead uh, just trying to, to cover this debt. So here's where the body of Christ comes in. We together... Uh, whether it be this sister, whether it be someone else that you want to help into religious life, we together can, as the church, meet the needs physically, monetarily for this person, knowing that this person is going to, in turn, provide for us spiritually in the church because we need vocations. We need them to be praying for us. We need them to be uh, doing what they do, whether that's uh, running hospitals or teaching schools or the, the, the religious orders do so much in evangelism and teaching and, and providing for the, the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of the church and really of the world on behalf of the church. So uh, I've put a link to this specific thing. She's got to raise 20000 which uh, is not a very big student loan, if you know anything about student loans. Uh, and she needs to do it before she can enter into religious life. She's about 10% of the way there now. Uh, but I put the link there if you want to. Uh, she's got a GoFundMe account. Uh, put the link on my social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Go look that up. See if this person is someone that you want to support as she enters into uh, this religious order, uh, the Sisters of Our Lady Immaculate in Canada. Uh, but if this specific person, this specific uh, order is not one that you want to uh, to participate in, remember that we need vocations as a church. They they help us. They they nourish the church, uh, both at large and us individually, whether we recognize it or not. And so I want to encourage you to consider contributing to a, a fund like the Mater Ecclesia Fund or the Labore Society that, that helps people pay off their debt as they're looking to enter into religious life. Or there, there are plenty of other people who 
simply put out a call themselves. They're feeling that need uh, to to enter into religious life. They're they're feeling the draw of the Holy Spirit. Uh, jump in, put a little bit of risk in there, and support them as they seek to support the church. Uh, you and I, uh, likely likely you, certainly I, was not called into a religious vocation. I was called into the vocation of marriage. But in doing so, uh, God's put me on a different path. Uh, I have the path where I'm having to to continually work to provide for my family. And with what extra I have, uh, what really sometimes not even what extra, with what God has blessed me with, I am to take some of that blessing and become a blessing to others, right? And so I want to encourage you, join me in this. Uh, go to my Facebook page, find out uh, about all about Lauren Kay, right, up in Canada, uh, consider consider helping her enter the convent or working with Mater Ecclesia Fund for Vocations or the Labore Society uh, to help build up the church. So uh, that's completely unrelated, I think, <laughs> to what we're talking about today. But in a way, it's not. In a way, it's not because we are one body, Right, what I do in my in my fast for myself during Lent is not really for myself, because I am as I become more holy, as I seek to do things that um, that follow the Holy Spirit, that become as I become a disciple of Jesus Christ and I follow Him more closely. That has a profound effect on the whole body of Christ. We're not a, uh, a me and Jesus religion here in Catholicism. We have a personal relationship with Christ because we are, Christ is a person, we are a person, he died for us as persons, and, and we can get to know him just like the apostles got to know him. In fact, uh, my, my father said this growing up, and I'm sure he got it from somewhere else. There's no one in all of human history who has known God any better than you can know him. All the saints, you can be a saint. You just have to do some of the same things that the saints did. All you have to do is to be like Mary and say, let it be done to me according to your word, right? And so as we become saints, you look at the lives of the saints. They're not saints for themselves. They're saints for the whole church. Their actions nourished the whole church. It wasn't just them and their ascetic life. Even the, even the, those people who were hermits, they did things that benefited the whole church. And so that's what's called of us as well, even as we're in the midst of our fast, even as we're uh, spending this Lent looking at those things that we need to let go of so that we can follow Christ more closely. As we're looking at whether it be a sin or whether it just be a bad habit or whether it be a good thing that we just have too much of, right? Now we're looking at these things to examine ourselves, not for our own benefit, but as we grow closer to Christ, these, that, that relationship with Christ becomes a benefit to the whole body. The whole body of Christ is made more holy when we become more holy. Right after this break, we're going to be talking with Adam Conk from uh, Christ Our King Radio in Lafayette, Louisiana. We're going to be talking about what our fast looks like and what it should look like uh, as we individually seek to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. So glad that you are here today, and that's no joke. Here we are on April 1st. Uh, coming up tomorrow is the, what is it, the fifth week of Advent already? Not Advent. See, that's how far off we are. Fifth week of, uh, of Lent, fifth Sunday starting tomorrow. We're just almost to Easter. How's your Lenten observance gone? Uh, for me, I, I've had about 50-50 success uh, in in doing the things that I said I was going to do for Lent and those practices where I, I am uh, trying to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Christ. That, that classic uh, statement of Christ of those who would follow him have a little bit of work to do, right? He, he's, it's not a, a, a pleasure cruise. We're actually having to do the work of, of keeping up with Christ where he goes. And so part of the Lenten practice is to get into that mindset of what things do I have that prevent me from really following Christ well. The writer of Hebrews talks about, let us uh, recognize those things that hold us back, the, the sin that so easily entangles, the things that, that uh, prevent us, and fix our, fixing our eyes on Christ, uh, press on towards the goal of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Uh, today, we're welcoming Adam Conk uh, from, uh, from uh, Christ Our King Radio down in Lafayette, Louisiana. Adam, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, Timothy. This is great. So let's talk. Uh, we're talking about Lenten observance, and uh, I wanted to have you on the show because I, I stalk you on Facebook uh, as I Fantastic. do. Fantastic. As I it's do, not very interesting, is it? No, it's it's actually fascinating because you <laughs> you post these videos of the the practices of faith that you do with your children, which is uh, something that that I, as a father, I've got my seventh child coming in uh, late July, early August. That's the kind of thing that I'm I'm really looking. What are other parents doing? How are they passing on the faith in such a way uh, that that their their kids get it and keep it and catch it? Uh, yeah. And and so here we are in this season of Lent, which uh, is one of the 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 less festive. We'll put it that way, uh, <laughs> quite literally, less festive uh, seasons of the church. Uh, how it's easy to pass on feasts, right? You. you you, you, uh, we have presents. We do uh, special meals. We do all these things. How do you pass on Lent to your kids? That's a great question. I, I think first I have to think what is Lent about as an adult. Probably about two weeks before it starts every year. So this isn't like, oh, I remember something I learned a long time ago. Let me just regurgitate that to my kids every year. Mm -hmm. But if I'm growing spiritually, Lent means something different to me each year. And so about two weeks before my wife and I start talking about, you know, what, what do we want to do this Lent? What is God calling us to this Lent? And then that helps us actually communicate what Lent is all about. So this year it has taken on more of a, um, a relational tone. So we wanted, we want to use this Lent to work on our relationships within the family. And we have this little practice that we like to use called the bean jar. Okay. Okay. Now the, the bean jar, they take these pinto beans, which are not appetizing because they're not cooked. Right. And we want to work on encouraging one another. So anytime they would encourage someone thinking like intentionally, I'm doing this because it's Lent and I want to get better at it. They would put a bean into a jar. And then at Easter, Easter Sunday, as many pinto beans as they have turn into jelly beans. <laughs> <laughs> it's magic. <laughs> it's magic. But, but no, I mean, I think, I think if I can consider simply what is Lent to me now, then I'm much more sincere communicating that to my children 
as to why we do certain penances. Why are we not watching TV? Why are we doing these silly bean jars? Why are we going to mass more often? It has to mean something to me now, not just a year, two years, five years ago. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think step number one is for me to, to take stock of it myself. Yeah. You know, for for us in our household, we have been, uh, you know, every year the kids lose dessert for the season of Lent. We want them to feel the, the weight of penance. <laughs> but this year, my, uh, my two oldest took on extra that we did not uh, give them. They took on extra penances just in and of themselves. And my, my oldest uh, daughter, my second child, she, uh, she put us all to shame because she's like, I'm going to give mm. up, I'm going to give up movies. And while, um, while my siblings are watching their movies, I'm going to pray the rosary and the divine mercy chaplet downstairs. I'm like, and she's done it every time. Wow. How old is she? Uh, she is in first communion this year. She's oh wow on her way to first communion. So she's making the most of this Lent and uh, putting, putting the rest of us to shame. Well, I think you're hitting on a good point that we actually want to do Lent. Mm-hmm. We do, naturally. You know, if we love Jesus and we're decent human beings, we want to do Lent. I think when we get older and a little more ugly spiritually, maybe, maybe we have a lot of baggage, okay, mm-hmm. then Lent is is kind of a a nasty thought to us. You know, we have an aversion to this idea of penance or prolonged periods of, of not experiencing the pleasures of the world. But in reality, Lent is awesome. And I think children, when they when it's presented to them in a positive light, they respond and they want to go above and beyond like, like your daughter. You know, I, I called to mind a friend of mine from before I was Catholic uh, who we were at this non-denominational church and he, he was trying to do Lent. And he came from a, you know, a German background, German household, and he was trying to do, right, do Lent really mm-hmm. well because Germans do everything really well and precise. And, uh, and he got to a place where he became so disillusioned because he felt like he was just doing the stuff for the sake of doing it. And it wasn't helping him get any closer to God. It was almost like if I perform Lent well enough, God will reward me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this kind of backwards view, rather than I'm going to let go of a few things so that I can approach Christ closer, he was like, if I do Lent well enough, God will reward me. And he ended up actually completely leaving the faith because wow. because everyone around him was in this almost pietist sense of encouraging him to do these works without focusing on the meaning of Lent, which is, uh, not that we give these things up, but rather that we deny ourselves for the purpose of following Christ. Yeah, and I think the dissatisfaction with spiritual things comes from a certain pride within us that when we treat the faith like something we accomplish mm-hmm. or something we work on as if virtue is like merit badges and we collect as many merit badges as we can or or like coins in a, in a, in a video game, we collect as many virtue points as we can. Right. Well, we see the emptiness emptiness of that pretty quick, um, especially not enough, if not enough people praise us, right? Mm-hmm. So we get dissatisfied with our relationship with God. And it's very dangerous. And I know for myself, Lent is a great time for me to ask this question, God, what faults do I have that I don't see right now? Because I do love you and I want to follow you. And the only reason I'm not following you more closely is probably something I don't even see about myself. And... Um, to work through that and go through that process is not fun. It's not like rewarding in the sense of people praise me because people don't know I'm asking myself that question. Right. So if I'm in it, if I'm in it for the praise, if I'm in it for the merit badges, if I'm in it, for, you know, collecting virtue points, 
Lent is pretty boring unless I really go all out and do these amazing things that everybody loves, you know? Right. <laughs> there's this, uh, there's this song by a, a Christian artist from back in the, uh, late eighties, early nineties by the name of Rich Mullins. Mm -hmm. And he talks about in this song, he says, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm not bad. If you look at the people around me, but then I start to think of Peter and Paul and the apostles and I don't stack up too well against them, I guess, but by the standards around here, I ain't doing that often. He says, <laughs> uh, and I think we get that sense that we look at, at Lent through maybe the practices of the people who are directly around us or through, uh, the practice of the faith that we see in the United States, uh, on any given Sunday. And we think, well, I'm, I'm doing pretty good because I gave up, I gave up all my extra, uh, candy this, this Lent and never mind the fact that in other parts of the world, they're, they're fasting to a degree where it's not just giving up meat on Fridays, but it's really for the whole season of Lent and, and mm -hmm. other very strenuous fasting practices where they really kind of hold on to that ancient practice of fasting. And so as long as I think we're comparing ourselves to the people who are right around us rather than to the saints who have gone before us, I think it's easy to say, oh, I'm doing okay. You know, I, I'm doing what the church requires of me. Yeah. Well, and, and really it's, it's a comparison, one, with the saints, but then also with the saint that I've discerned God wants me to be, mm -hmm. right? So this, you know, because St. Teresa of Avila probably should have different Lenten practices than I do. Mm -hmm. You know, she was a 16th century Carmelite nun. All right. right. I am not. I'm a 21st century married man. So there should be some kind of distinction. But St. Teresa can help me because it's an example of someone who did follow God's will. And I can look at her life and her practices and ask myself, God, do you want this from me? And, and it helps us discern, I think, because Lent is really, if you remember, uh, Timothy, because you, you, I'm sure you love scripture, right? So Jesus goes into the desert led by the spirit. Mm -hmm. led by the Spirit into the desert. And so Lent really should be a time of discernment. We don't just go in to the desert, wherever that may be, extreme fasting or or not extreme fasting, whatever. But we have to go led by the Spirit wherever we end up going, or else it's really not going to be worth much. And it's not going to be imitating Jesus, which is what it's really all about. Right. And, you know, we've got these, these Lenten practices that we pick up. And I think that sometimes uh, there are folks who pick them up just because, oh, well, this is what I've always done, or this is uh, w what I see other people around me doing. But Christ was led by the Spirit into his fast, and mm -hmm. and in preparation for his effectiveness, for his ministry. Uh, this happened immediately after his baptism, right before he began his public ministry. And Christ is calling us also to, to a public ministry that that's going to require some preparation that he knows what that is. He knows the specifics that he's calling us to in order to prepare us for what's to come because Lent really is that season of preparation. Well, when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Adam Conk. We're also going to talk a little bit more about St. Therese and the little way as it relates to us and our Lenten practices. Why don't you join me over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Talk to me about how you're doing in your Lenten practices this year. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. I am so glad that you're here. Here on this April 1st, as we're coming up towards the end of the Lenten season, as we approach the the, the Triduum and, and that Easter vigil, um, how are you preparing your heart? How are you getting ready for this, this feast, this 50-day feast of Easter that's coming up? I recall when we were in the Protestant church, uh, there was this sense that, you know, you, you, uh, you have Palm Sunday and then you might do a little bit of Good Friday on Easter, but you can't really do it because when do you do it? Uh, because, you know, in the Protestant church, very few places have any sense of, of doing other services other than Sundays. And so we didn't ever experience the darkness and the weight of, of that really difficult uh, week of Holy Week. Uh, and so when we became uh, Catholic, to just experience the immense joy that comes with Easter because of what we've suffered through to get there. Uh, so we're talking today with Adam Conk. He is from Christ Our King Radio down in Lafayette, Louisiana. Adam, thanks for being on the show today. Hey, y'all. Happy to be here. <laughs> that that's, Y'all is not a South Louisiana word. Come on. Oh, yeah. But we don't say it like we're from Texas. I said it like I was from Texas, but it's just, hey, y'all. I thought it was like, Sha, how you doing? Oh, we do my, yeah. Hey, Sha. <laughs> hey, Sha. <laughs> so, before the break, you were talking about uh, St. Therese of Lisieux, the little the Carmelite sister who was very young when she passed and yet uh, is now a doctor of the church. Uh, she shares that distinction with very few other people who something in their life or in their writings has been proven to be beneficial for consumption by the whole church. She has something to teach the whole church, this little, mm-hmm. very young uh, Carmelite sister who was full of spunk. If you've never read her story, uh, she has her journals uh, compiled in a book called The Story of a Soul by St. Therese of Lisieux. And one of the things she talked about was this little way. She says, I'm not big enough uh, to to go through the, the great stairway to heaven, um, not, not the Led Zeppelin version, but the... <laughs> the French version. Um, she says, I'm too small and the way is too hard. I need some little way for God to make it for me. And, uh, and of course, now she has been declared a saint. She found that little way and she offers that to, uh, to the rest of us. However, Adam, uh, I feel that people take a look at her little way and, and assume that it means an easy way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so rather than to say, hey, she's small and can't take the rigors of a, of a difficult, uh, r- rigorous, or, or um, maybe some people would say scrupulous path to heaven, uh, they think that it means, well, I don't really have to do all that much. I only have to do the bare minimum of what the church offers, and I'll be fine. So talk to me a little bit about that. Well, what St. Therese discovered— in the little way is the same thing that every saint discovered. And those of us who are not saints, I don't know if you're including that. I know I am. I'm not a saint uh, just yet. But what they discovered and we what we can't seem to get is that holiness comes in doing the will of God. That's it. It doesn't come through a certain program or regiment or prayer process or even a certain type of life lived, whether you're a priest, religious, married, pope, whatever. None of that brings about personal holiness, but doing the will of God does. What did Jesus say, right? 
he who does the will of my heavenly father. And so what St. Therese found was all she had to do was simply, like she said, be a little toy in the hand of the child Jesus Mm -hmm. to let the child Jesus guide her through each moment of her life, each decision, and to learn what it's like to be guided by him. And this is where you and I, if we're not saints, we, we fall short is that we haven't learned Jesus's voice enough to be moved day after day to know when the when the Lord is actually asking us to do something or not. Because I'll tell you this, I mean, look, the little way, but St. Therese did a big thing. I mean, mm-hmm. she approached the Pope to say, let me into Carmel early. Right. Even though my bishop says no, even though the, the nun says no. And that's why she's the doctor of confidence. She had confidence in God's will because she found it. She found God's will for her. Mm-hmm. But it came because she she made little yeses, little yeses to God's will when she knew Jesus asked her to, uh, you know, do something in her family or whatever. She said yes. And she learned that voice. She learned that tug. And that is what led her all the way to her deathbed and now to her glory in heaven. And so I think for us, you're right, we can use St. Teresa's life as a cop out sometimes and say, look, it's not supposed to be difficult. It's just supposed to be simple. Okay. But so is married life, right? Like, and you know this, Timothy. <laughs> right. It's really not complicated to, to be happily married, but it sure is not easy. Right. You know, it, it's the sense of the, the life of holiness. We, we see the saints and we see the, the great miracles and we see the great oration and we see, uh, you know, the, the traveling and the vows of poverty and, the, and all of these things that we think in our, in our lay life we could never do. And maybe that's true, and maybe it's not. Uh, but even in the life of St. Therese, even in that little way that she uh, longed for and that she teaches us, through, teaches us through her journals, what we see is a consistent yes, a consistent yes, Lord, mm-hmm. whatever that was. And, and trusting that, that whatever it was that God asks for us and asks from us, is something that we're going to be able, through His grace, to say yes to. Yeah, and and really it's all about our relationship with God, and that relationship is built on those yeses. And so if we have not learned that voice yet, Lent is a time to still everything else around us and just be with that voice as much as we can. Because the voice is speaking. The problem is we're not hearing. God always speaks to us, right? He's like... You know, I imagine Lent less like a boot camp and more like the father saying, hey, come with me. Let's go fishing out on a lake. There's nothing around us, Mm -hmm. just me and you, and we'll be alone for a while. And to me, that that is the idea. We go with we go with the Lord. We go with the Heavenly Father to learn his voice so that when we come out, when we rejoin the rest of the world at Easter and we celebrate we have a closer relationship with Jesus. So when he tells us, like you said earlier, it's all about mission. When he tells us, look, I'm going to send you to these people. I'm going to send you to love in this way. We know what he sounds like. Right. And we can respond. Well, and taking that, that illustration, uh, and of course, Christ even said it to his apostles, come away with me to, to a, a deserted place. He said mm-hmm. that quite often. This sense of the things that I give up now are not because I need to prove my my stamina or my strength. Uh, it's not even just giving up uh, vices, right? We give up good things. Uh, we give up uh, pleasures, uh, you know, whether that be dessert, whether that be um, 
whatever the case is that you have given up. Uh, we give up things that aren't bad in and of themselves, but that can serve to be distractions. Those, those things that draw our attention and our appetites away from that which can feed us most perfectly, which is Christ. And Yeah. And I think we should remember with Therese, obviously she was a very young, powerful saint, but she was raised by saints. Mm -hmm. And every lesson that we benefit from in Story of a Soul, I'm imagining at least in seed form was present in the house at Lisieux, where there was a culture within the family of listening to the Lord, of listening to the Lord. And not just talking about Jesus, not just teaching catechism, but a time where people could be quiet and listen. And for, for me and my family, Lent, it's a struggle. Look, I have, we're, we're having our sixth kid in two months. Okay. Congrats. So to keep things, thanks. So to keep things quiet enough to pray mm-hmm. <laughs> is rough, but I've learned to do it, pro, you know, with myself, I just wake up early before the chaos starts, but how do I provide that for my nine-year-old? Right. You know, like how do I, how do I make sure that in their day is some some time to be with the Lord because St. Therese was not an accident. She was, her life was part of the will of God, but it came through her parents, through her family life. And so I think during this Lent, um, that's something I'm asking myself, like, how do I, how do I give the environment where my kids can, can learn the Lord's voice and learn to say yes? Yeah. Let me tell you uh, a little something that I was given by another radio, uh, radio guy, uh, Doug Pearson, uh, passed away probably about a year and a half ago. And he was uh, with Guadalupe Radio Network down in, mm-hmm. the, in the Dallas area. And I, he lived right around the corner from my parents' house. I went to visit him once as he was nearing the end of his life. I wasn't aware of that fact. But he, uh, he invited us into his home. Uh, we knew that he looked tired, but we didn't know to what extent that he was suffering with uh, cancer at that point. He invited us into his home and the advice that he gave us, he talked to us for probably 20 minutes, the advice that he gave us is always, always have a, a family rosary. We haven't done that to a great extent, um, but we've tried. But what mm-hmm. he said, what he said was this that that really struck me because it's different than I would normally think to do it. He said, you know, if if you've got your two year old and and he's toddling around or the the four year old is distracted and doing other things, let him, just you know, just let him be in the presence of the family praying. And, mm. And we've done that. Um, we specifically during Lent, we're doing this thing where we do like a 30 minute bedtime routine where we talk to the kids about what was significant in their day. And we just kind of let them uh, wander. And it's been amazing to watch the sense of peace kind of descend on the house, uh, even in the midst of their fidgets and their movements and everything else, as we together as a family have sought to pray in a way that that isn't structured and and demanding, but it's just a little way. Yeah. Well, we're going to come back right after this. I'm going to see if Adam can stick with us just a little bit longer. Why don't you join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Talk to me about the things that you do as a family that make Lent special. You don't think about it that way very often, but that's what it is that make Lent special. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I am your host, Timothy Putnam, and I'm glad that you're here as we're talking today about uh, the purpose of Lent. Maybe seems a little late since we're almost finished with Lent, but it's not too late today to start that little way of saying yes to the to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We've got with us on the show today Adam Conk, who is with Christ Our King Radio down in Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, Adam, thanks again for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for the inv- invitation, Timothy. So here we are. We're in Lent. We're we're four weeks in, coming up on five weeks in. Uh, you can start to feel a little bit worn out with uh, haven't I haven't I been doing enough? Haven't I been Lenting? <laughs> I've been Lenting. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, and. I mean, this is only natural, and that's kind of the point, because if we didn't feel tired or pushed a little, we probably didn't do it correctly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, consider strength training. To right. get stronger, you have to push yourself to the limit, not too far, because you'll hurt yourself or quit and get discouraged. But if you push yourself to how much you can handle, then by the end of it, you can handle more. And so, yeah, I think that's a good thing if we feel that way. But, Timothy, I'm going to suggest one thing okay. that people talk about a lot, but rarely do. And I rarely did until about two years ago, but it made all the difference. Community, community, community. <laughs> because the point, like when, when people run a marathon and they get to certain benchmarks where they just feel like they can't go any further, right? they have people cheering them on and then they get this new whatever. The point of community is to remind us, the church has a memory. The church remembers Jesus and the church remembers um it remembers the sacraments, the helps, right? So when we go to the church, to our community, not only do they encourage us, but we get to encounter Christ in that way. And we literally will not make it without a community. So I just want to encourage people if they are praying and they're getting discouraged and they feel like they're not quite meeting what they wanted to do, not meeting the obligations they made to, to the Lord, talk to a brother or sister in the Lord about it. And you may not even succeed, but the point is, You'll encourage one another to find the will of God. You can't do it alone. Uh, if you're going to try, you're just going to fail. Even if you do succeed, so what? If you may, right. if you do it without community, right? Like if you if you meet all your obligations, but you didn't grow closer to our Lord through His church, so what? So I would right. suggest community. So we're going to do two things. First of all, uh, we'll put up a couple of links on social media that point to uh, point to maybe community in your area or how to find community at your parish. Uh, and the second thing is, since you seem to, to have uh, been practicing this a little bit more fully, uh, I'm going to have you back on here before too long, and we're going to talk about how to foster community in a parish that maybe you're not finding it. Does that sound good? Love to. Yeah, that sounds great, man. All right, Adam, thank you so much for being on the show today. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Tim. Earlier, as Adam was talking to us about uh, St. Therese of Lisieux and how we can't all be St. Therese, even though she's got something to teach us, uh, we have a different way to approach holiness than even even she did. Or, ra- or rather, we approach it in the same way by simply saying yes, but the way that it looks and how it plays out in our lives is going to look different for us than it did for St. Therese because she, of course, uh, was a Carmelite and most of us listening to this show are not. And as he was talking about that, it brought to mind uh, a reading from church history from St. Francis de Sales from the Introduction to the Devout Life. And this comes up in the breviary each year in January. But we're going to go back to it. It's not 
this week's breviary reading, but it's very much in line with what uh, with what we're talking about today. So let's take a listen together uh, to St. Francis de Sales from chapter 3 of the Introduction to the Devout Life. When God the Creator made all things, He commanded the plants to bring forth fruit each according to its own kind. He has likewise commanded Christians, who are the living plants of His Church, to bring forth the fruits of devotion each one in accord with his character, his station, and his calling. I say that devotion must be practiced in different ways, by the nobleman and by the working man, by the servant and by the prince, by the widow, by the unmarried girl, and by the married woman. But even this distinction is not sufficient, for the practice of devotion must be adapted to the strength, to the occupation, and to the duties of each one in particular. Tell me, please, my Philothea, whether it is proper for a bishop to want to lead a solitary life like a Carthusian, or for married people to be no more concerned than the Capuchin about increasing their income, or for a working man to spend his whole day in church like a religious, or on the other hand, for a religious to be constantly exposed like a bishop to all of the events and circumstances that bear on the needs of our neighbor. Is not this sort of devotion ridiculous, unorganized, and intolerable? Yet this absurd error occurs very frequently. But in no way does true devotion, my Philothea, destroy anything at all. On the contrary, it perfects and fulfills all things. In fact, if it ever works against or is inimical to anyone's legitimate station and calling, then it is definitely false devotion. The bee collects honey from flowers in such a way as to do the least damage or destruction to them, and he leaves them whole undamaged and fresh, just as he found them. True devotion does still better. Not only does it not injure any sort of calling or occupation, it even embellishes and enhances it. Moreover, just as every sort of gem cast in honey becomes brighter and more sparkling, each according to its color, so each person becomes more acceptable and fitting in his own vocation when he sets his vocation in the context of devotion. Through devotion, your family cares become more peaceful. Mutual love between husband and wife becomes more sincere. The service we owe to the prince becomes more faithful, and our work, no matter what it is, becomes more pleasant and agreeable. It is therefore an error, and even a heresy, to wish to exclude the exercise of devotion from military divisions, from artisan shops, from the courts of princes, from family households. I acknowledge, my dear Philothea, that the type of devotion which is purely contemplative, monastic, and religious can certainly not be exercised in these sorts of stations and occupations. But besides this threefold type of devotion, there are many others fit for perfecting those who live in a secular state. Therefore, in whatever situation we happen to be, we can and we must aspire to the life of perfection." That reading comes from St. Francis de Sales' Introduction to the Devout Life, Chapter 3. And this is what I really want to get our heads around today, is this idea that, yes, the, the way set out for us to live in devotion is attainable, but it's not easy. I see so many people who go around and say, well, the church only requires that I, uh, I fast on... Uh, on two days of a year, and and that I abstain from meat on these specific Fridays, and so that's what I'm going to do. 
you know, that's a great starting place. But here's the deal with the things that the church prescribes for us, is that the church is always seeking to make sure that we don't put a burden on someone. Jesus, when speaking to the Pharisees, said, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you lay heavy burdens on the people, and yet you yourself do nothing, right? And so the church is, is always, always actively working to make sure that doors are opened and burdens are lifted. The church doesn't want to, to require us to do something that is unnecessary for our salvation, because not everyone can, can carry the same weight of a cross that you can, right? But our call is not to do the bare minimum. Our call is to walk in relationship with Jesus Christ. Our call is to be disciples of Jesus Christ by, by seeking to follow him, by seeking to, to live in relationship with him, by seeking to live lives that are holy. And a holy life is simply that life that sets itself apart to do the work that God has for them, right? And so just as St. Francis de Sales told us, just as uh, we've been talking about all day long, God has something for you that's going to look different than it does for me. Your Lenten devotion by necessity is going to look different than mine. But I encourage you, don't be satisfied with, uh, with the bare minimum. Don't be satisfied by saying, well, uh, I, had, I had fish on Friday, every Friday, and I didn't eat meat. I, I made it. That's a great first step. That's a great way to say, I'm going to listen and be obedient to the church as I learn to listen and be obedient to Christ. I've got to learn to hear that voice. I've got to learn to, to uh, exercise discernment so that I can recognize the voice of God, so that I can hear him when he calls me to give up more than just chocolate for Lent. Maybe he's calling me to, to give up something that distracts me from being in relationship with those around me. Maybe he's calling me to exercise a spirit of detachment through almsgiving, to not be owned by my things, so that when the voice of God comes to me and says, I need you to give to that person I need you to reach out to that person who just lost a family member or who just lost all that they owned in a fire, like has recently happened up in the wildfires in Kansas. If we are controlled by our things, we can look and say, oh, I don't have enough to give. And yet if we, through almsgiving, if we, through tuning our ears to hear a little bit more clearly the voice of God, uh, we can see, oh, freely I've received now freely I should give. God's provided for all of my needs, and he's done it through other people. Perhaps now he's asking me to help provide for the needs of others. And maybe it's sacrificial. Maybe it means I have to, uh, I have to give up something that I didn't want to give up, uh, a vacation or a, uh, a new vehicle or, or whatever the case may be. Maybe it's going to hurt to give. And yet Christ is calling us not to a set of specific tasks, but to a life devoted to him and to his church. Let's all spend our Lent getting to a place where we can say, yes, Lord, thy will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Outside the Walls is made possible by the generous contributions of our friends of the show. It's heard around the world on live streaming, terrestrial radio, and podcast. To join them or just to find showtimes, go visit OutsideTheWalls.com. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.